Welcome to the Social Go podcast. Everyone, whether a mum, dad, bride or groom, you deserve to throw an event you can sit back and be proud of. Therefore, we will be providing you tips and what's trending straight from the horse's mouth. Our reputable Australian Social Go suppliers, here to help you execute the party or wedding you've been dreaming of. If you're a goal crusher in the events industry, looking for business tips and tricks from other industry leaders, you are in the right place. Social Go for Business is the podcast for you. On Social Go for Business, we are all about authentic, honest conversation, business talk, gauging advice from other businesses on their climb to the top, process hacks to save you time, and of course, a place for you to be yourself to think freely. I am your host, Laura Karifalakis, co-founder and creative director at Social Go, here to help you bring magic and certainty into your events, as well as allowing businesses in the events industry to step into the business they deserve with support, confidence and purpose. Together, we can make a positive impact in the Australian events industry. Are you ready? It's time. Let's do this. Welcome back to the Social Go podcast. I'm your host, Laura Karafalakis, and I am here with my co-host, Emmanuel Anthony. Uh, (laughs) As you already know, he's a human behavior specialist, inspirational speaker, YouTube vlogger, videographer, content creator, and of course, my friend. And we have a jam-packed episode for you today. How are you doing, Emmanuel? I'm good. I'm surrounded by boxes because I'm moving tomorrow, so... Um, hopefully they don't produce any echo uh but we've got something to introduce we've got a name for the show now other than what we already had but we're calling this an hour of power yes um emmanuel came up with this name and i loved it like just an hour of power to dive into self-development essentially it's your hour people and uh we're glad to be part of the process not to be mistaken with the tv series power which uh i addicted to oh gosh Is this where it came from? <laughs> um, no, it isn't. But uh, we definitely, they didn't have an episode on this week and we watch it every, it's like our thing. It's like our date night. We'll get our salt and vinegar chips and we'll sit there and we'll canoodle up. And uh, they didn't have it this week and Renee had a sad face. And I'm just like, but I want to watch Power. Um, so, but no, that's not where it came from. We wanted, we wanted something uh, that was kind of, what's a word, catchy, but something that also described what this is about. We want to give you some of the power of the insights and the knowledge that we have and also just ask questions. And I think today's going to be massively about asking questions, talking about that. Absolutely. I agree. So today's episode is how to have an authentic wedding for you, not your family. Boom. (laughs) Feel the tension already. (laughs) Yes. And I'm sure there are hundreds and thousands of people out there that can relate to the pressure of, you know, culture, uh, religion, family, parents, um, what people think of you um, to have a wedding, you know, that you have to do it for others. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I myself, I'm married to a Greek, and um, with most European families, there are a lot of tradition, you know, traditions, um, and, you know, Greek boys and mummy's boys. But I'm yeah. very, very, as you know, a lot of men are, not just Greeks, but um, I am very lucky that my husband and I, our communication is on point. Like we can express how we feel and we're accepting that our cultures are not the same, um, which really, really, really helped with our wedding. But on our first date, I'll tell you a story. On our first date, <laughs> um, and anyone that knows my husband knows he's he's a wild child with the best heart in the world. Um, but on our first date back in 2011, uh, we're sitting at um, a little Italian restaurant uh, on Ligon Street and he just hit his hand on the table, bang. He's like, look, I'm not going to waste your time. Um, I'll tell you now, we're going to get married in the Greek Orthodox Church in Faulkner and our kids will be named after my parents. My question was, what are your parents' names? Because <laughs> I'm Christian. So the church was irrelevant to me. That was fine. I was just like, mm, okay, I've got to check out this church. It's a nice background, you know. Um, but, yeah, my second question was, what are your parents' names? And then six years later, two children later, um, we got married in the Greek Orthodox Church in Faulkner. 
And my son is named Spiros, a.k.a. Ross, um, named after my father-in-law. But we did it because we wanted to. And I respected his that's, – that's what he always wanted. That, that was his thing. Um, and I respected that and I was cool with that. Um, but that's because I was okay with it as well. But that's a mutual exchange you're talking about. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the topic that we've got on is when – there's, there's a few aspects to it that layers because the pressure can be the perception that you have to do that, but you don't actually have to, mm-hmm. uh, but just feel that you have to. And then there's the actual pressure where people will try and force that upon you um, in terms of that. But in, in that exchange between the two of you, it seemed like you had that conversation. And for you, you were like, you know what? I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and Renee and I had that with children's names. Like we haven't had our children yet, but when we had the conversation about three years into our, our relationship, I remember exactly where we were. We're driving up um, this particular hill with a beautiful view and we we're about actually about six months into the um, relationship and I said similar thing, you know, and I said, I was, I'm not going to uh, waste your time and bang on the table. So <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> um, uh, just bang. Elare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that. I grew up around Oakley. I know all of the Greeks and Italians, but... Um, Too good. Uh, I just said to her, um, you know, some of these discussions have their benefits and drawbacks in being had now or later. I know we've only been seeing each other for six months, but if we don't start having those conversations at some stage, we could invest a large amount of time and then realize that we're both not aligned. Mm. So we can realize that now or later. Um, both of those have their benefits and drawbacks. But I just said to her, um, you know, not a big topic, um, if, you know, which pretty much feels huge after a speech like that. But I said, not a big topic. What are your perceptions on children? Something you want, something you don't want, something you've never thought about. What, what is that to you? And she said, I want children. I said, cool. She goes, what about you? I said, yeah, I'd like some children too. I grew up with brothers and sisters and I like the experience. And um, she goes, okay, beautiful. She goes, how many for you? I said, I could do anywhere from two to four. She goes, I'd love to. I said, okay, we can join right in the middle of two. And then I said, what about children's names? She says, I've never thought of that. No, she said, what about you? I don't know. And I said, I don't know why, but since the age of 12 or 15 or something, I already knew what I wanted to name my children. And she said, what is it? And I don't mind saying it. I've already told a million people. I said, if it's a girl, Bella. I've grown up around a lot of Italians. The word Bella and Bello sound like the most beautiful. My friends know, my best friends know, if they ring me and go, ciao, bello, that, whatever they say after that, I don't care. It's just like it's one of the most beautiful things to say. My favorite restaurant in Melbourne, um, this was many, many years ago. I think it was 13 chairs or 38 chairs, upon me. Um, where every time I walked in, they'd say, ciao, bello, and give me a kiss on both cheeks. Never looked at that way. I don't care who these guys are. I love them. Yeah. Um, but I said, Bella, she goes, I like that. Every single time us or somebody else says hi to our daughter, they're saying hi, beautiful. Yeah. And she said, what about boys? And I said, for a boy or a girl, but I love Paris. Or I'd say the way that um, it's said in French, Paris. Um, that's the way that I like to say it. And nice. She goes, oh, I like that. And then Milan. Um, once again, all of those said, said with accents, um, mm-hmm. the way that they're meant to be said. And she said, you know, what? I've never thought a name, so I really like all of those. And that was done. <laughs> Set <laughs> so in stone, done. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of, we got the kids' names. We just haven't made the kids yet. I don't know if we're pre-planning <laughs> too quickly. Uh, we also, while I was packing up, found out that um, Renee's sister, who just had a child, sent us like boxes of kid stuff and I pulled it out from under our bed and um, I was like folding it up and it was so cute. It's, it's just like a regular human being, but a million times smaller. <laughs> so it was really cool. But, but all of those things are what exactly what you said. They're mutual agreements mm-hmm. uh, in terms of that. And really today's podcast is about giving yourself permission. If we have to go to the core of it, giving yourself permission to have those conversations with your partner first that's really because the unity of the marriage is about you guys more than anything else. All that extra stuff, that's just all fluff to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the cultural and everything else, it's all buzz, but it's noise and stuff that can get in the way. We spent the, Renee and I spent the last week watching abuse to women in all different cultures. And so much of it had to do around marriage. India with the dowry, a lot of countries did that as well. So really the purpose of marriage in, a, in its old, most civilized, well, I'll go from the start. From the rise of the agricultural societies, so that's what we started moving towards becoming one as societies instead of individuals um, 10,000 years ago, marriages were a way of designating land and property. A lot of people don't want to hear this because they want to think of the romantic side of things, mm. but it gives you an insight as to what was happening. 
um, and why we've led to where we are now, why it's important to let go of a lot of the crap in between and find out what the marriage is really about, which is about love for two people, um, which even that idea didn't come through until Romeo and Juliet, when that was written about, was the exploration of that topic. A lot of people don't know that. Prior to that, marriage was about selling off of women. Many cultures, the husband or the dad owns a woman and he's selling it to the husband. And in many cultures for the man and their family, it was about collecting dowry. So it was a financial investment. Did you know that? I did not know that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I did yeah. not know that. And some civilizations allowed multiple partners um, and forms of marriages, and that still occurs today. In the, and this, get this, in the Himalayas, women could marry many men. Um, wow. And yeah, yeah. I don't know if that made them more or less satisfied. Um, but the idea behind that was that then that way they could keep all of the wealth and the land within the family, much like I say the ancient Greeks used to marry within their culture. Mm. Now, these all seem like bizarre ideas now um, and bizarre concepts, but we have so many things that are bizarre, and that's why people are having those conflicts because they're looking at that and saying it's bizarre. In 50 or 30 years, that may not even be a conversation because a lot of those things will be outdated. Mm. So we want to bring this into your awareness. If you're having a conversation now that you feel is bizarre and you haven't figured out how to transcend that due to fears of loss of family, loss of friendship, all of those things, that what you put on the line is your marriage in order to fulfill others. And every time you do that, the marriage loses its power. It gets put into the hands of other people. Um, we've got some more here. Women used to be pledged in ancient Rome at the age of six. Uh, shortly after, um, they made that there had to be consent. So they changed it to the age of 13. But their families would do that. Um, ghost marriages in China to propose spirits, to, um, and that was to ban off evil spirits or continue family lineages. Um, basically, all I'm, I'm saying here is that the idea of marriages they're often shaped by societies, yes. beliefs, yeah. ages of evolution, um, and also the evolution of the society as well. You, um, the stuff that we're watching on India, wow. A man will get married to a woman for the dowry. If the parents of the um, woman do not pay the dowry, the wife, then they'll throw acid on them and then get a new wife. And that's acceptable practice that a lot of people just ignore within the culture. Isn't it just crazy, like – just how humans have been on the planet. But yeah. I, I find it quite it, it, fascinating that, I don't know, you think that's okay. Like even if you lived in those times, you'd think that is okay. Like is that a natural reaction, you know? Well, that's what we're talking about because as I watched it with Renee, and obviously here in Australia, you and Renee are not second-class citizens, right. whereas originally with marriage, women were second-class second mm. citizens that were often traded off. And in, mm. and in some cultures, like China, they didn't want women. They'll, they'll even, I, call it, I believe they call it female infanta something. There's a name for it. We were watching it this week. And basically what it means is in those cultures where it's a burden, um, in India they would say, if you have multiple women, it's like watering somebody else's garden. And that's, that's the way that they view it. In other words, that you're going to lose a lot of money and it's not realistic. Um, it's basically a lifetime's worth of wages that you've got to give to the other. So the whole concept just trips me out. So this is a woman is in a possession, um, and all of that, and even that that changed after the industrial era. So after that happened, you didn't have to really worry about your family's financial wealth continuing because a middle class was created where people could segregate from their families instead of relying on them. Mm. And from that segregation, all of a sudden, now they could intermarry who they wanted. And marriage went from being about um, continuation of the family and finances um, and, you know, having children. That was one of the major roles of women um, from a very long time ago. But they went from that to fulfillment. And the roles of women changed um, prior to that as well. So women became a lot more empowered. Obviously, today we're looking for equal. Um, we say equal, but there's still a lot more work to be done in that. Yeah, but absolutely. Said that, yeah, it's, it's about fulfillment and empowerment, and it's about love. So if they're the core essence of what the marriage is about, and we understand that all the formalities and the craziness around that, um, it really is it's, it's to be respected, but culture isn't to be put on a pedestal. It's the best way I can put it. Wow. Yeah. Culture is to be respected but not put on a pedestal. I love that. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Like as much as I saw all of 
the craziness of what happens within those Indian cultures from a human behavioral standpoint, I can completely understand that. Um, yesterday, we even watched one. For most people, this is absurd, but when you study human behavior, you've got to study the depth of the extremes on all sides, perceived positive and negative. Um, there's a culture in Cambodia of gang rape by men that is openly acceptable. Mm. It's not weird. We, we heard that and I just went, wow, I don't know what I'd do if somebody did that to my daughter or how mm. I'd react mm. um, towards the men that did that. But basically what we're saying here in, in all of these cases, we're talking about disempowerment and disempowerment by beliefs and beliefs that people perceive they have to follow, otherwise they won't be part of a culture. Now, that is a lie. Mm. You are part of it. I'm Mauritian um, or Rodrigan to be precise. I was born in Rodrigues. I follow some of the traditions of what they do if I like them. I don't follow a majority of the stuff that they do because it's just not me authentically. Now, I've had that conversation with my mum and dad and I've said at my well, Renee and I have called it a love ceremony when we've spoken about it. I said, when we have our love ceremony, I'm atheist. Everything that has anything to do with God, I'm taking out. Because if you mention that, I'm going to fall asleep. I just don't have that belief. Yeah. And everything that I say must come from the heart. I said, what did you want? She said, well, I'm, my parents were originally religious, but they never taught us any of that. I'm atheist too. So she said, everything that I say must also come from the heart. And I said, beautiful. Um, let's take everything out that doesn't align with us. Let's put everything in that does. And this is what you do. Let's customize it for a celebration of love. Let's make it for what it really means and what it really means in this century, mm. what it's evolved to be. What it's evolved to be is so much more beautiful to me than what it originated as. But for you too, let's make it what it is for you because at the end of the day, exactly. you're the two people getting married, not, you know, the church or the culture, your parents, it's the two of you. So start as you mean to go on. Else you're going to live your marriage by other people's exactly. rules. Yeah. So, as long as it's legal. <laughs> I, I sat my parents down um, at the age of 26 and I said, I love you. I absolutely love you, but I'm a man now. Um, you know, I was a man before that, but I just wanted to have this open heart discussion. And I said, I'm going to explore and give myself permission to do what you have done. Certain things your parents gave you. I've heard them say, that's crap. I'm not listening to that. Don't listen to your grandpa. Don't do that. Just completely deny it as if it's not important. Then the stuff that they want me to listen to, and when I was younger, they'd say, listen to that, respect your elders. I'm like, come on. I can see the dichotomy of both sides. This is crap. Some stuff you respect, other stuff you don't. You just make it up as you go along like the rest of us. That's fair enough. Mm -hmm. I said, but I've got to give myself permission to do the same thing because I can't resent you later because I'm doing things that I don't want and not man enough to stand up for that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I said, so some things I do, you're going to like and appreciate. Other things I do, you're going to dislike. Like my father's heavily religious. So he disliked the fact that I wasn't religious. I said, but you will know who I am mm. up until the day that you pass. You will know exactly who I am. You'll be given that honor. And I too want to know who you are. So I said, so that means there's no upbringing in a Catholic school or anything like that. My children, if they choose to be religious, they won't have it forced upon them like I did when I was younger. I cop a beating if yeah. I thought about challenging it. I said, if they choose to do that when they're older, they can study the positives and the negatives, the pros and the cons, the, um, you know, my dad say Catholic, the molestation of children, um, the killing of more people than what Hitler did um, in order they can study all of that. And they can also study the book and the wisdom and the growth. Mm. And they can make an adult decision based on 100% where their heart is, but I'm not going to force it onto them. They're going to have to figure that out for themselves. I said, um, the cultural stuff of what you do as motion, I want you to share that with them. But don't you ever think about pushing it onto them. They will accept and love and appreciate and grow with that, but they don't have to do anything. They are loving individual human beings who have their own journey and they've got to discover that. So in those aspects, it's made my parents and I so much closer. Yes, there was a challenge to start off with. They were breaking their imaginary fantasy of who they perceived I would be growing up. But they didn't purchase me. They mm, made me. Yes. And that meant that I was going to discover the world in my own unique way. And I'm sure that at some stage they upset their parents or really their parents got upset because they were different to what they thought they were. But eventually they readjusted the picture and realized they were just as beautiful in the new form. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think – the days of that's just what we do are gone um, in, for some people because it's just not good enough. It, it, exactly yeah, right. Not it's good not good enough. enough. The reason why yeah. men are still getting, um, you know, having, uh, what was I saying before, chemicals thrown on them in India 
because mm. that's just what we do. It's such a low-level excuse to not give yourself permission to have a confrontational moment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it comes from the fear of the loss of parents or what the parents have to give financially or support and mentally. If you run off that fear, your parents have got you for life. And I, you know, I do understand that in some sense. Like I don't think anyone wants to lose their parents or um, I guess like bring shame, I guess, but also you're here to live your life. Um, not, you know, your parents have had their chance to live their life. Um, your aunties, uncles, grandparents, they, they've all had their chance. And if they chose to live by cultural rules or, uh, you know, their parents' rules, then that was their decision. So, yeah, you know. But nobody has. I'm yet to meet anybody that does. I mean, I work with thousands of clients per year. And as we evolve and grow, the next level of evolution, in most cases, although there are some civilized cultures that haven't evolved um, as fast, most of the time we've got new information and things that are allowing and because every person is contributing to the family household, the children are usually the one that will bring that new information in to help the whole system evolve. Yeah, open everyone's eyes, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this, what I've brought in in terms of evolution and growth has helped my family. What they brought in from the past is helping me, and it's all part of a beautiful cycle. But it still doesn't change your authenticity. You see, if – and I can take this for anybody. I can take this for our friendship, for example. Mm -hmm. If we hung out once a week after the podcast and every time we hung out, um, you paid for lunch and I never even offered and I just expected you to do all the work and everything and just kind of rocked up but then barely did anything, you'd go, screw this Emmanuel guy. He's just too selfish, which means I think about more about me than you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's not an equal exchange. So where you feel that somebody else thinks about themselves more than you, it hasn't got longevity. It's got a probability of a heated exchange coming because you're building unconscious resentment towards them. And it doesn't matter who it is. And enough resentment will break a family dynamics. And you're also being fake as well because you're not expressing it. Then if it was the other way around and I just wanted to shout everything, do everything, you feel too selfless. Like, ah, this feels odd. Why is he doing this? He just buys all this stuff, does everything. What are his intentions? Mm. And that feels odd. Like you really feel like I'm a bit, I'm in an odd place because you owe me something. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. And, and then I think that you're in an odd place because if I ask you for something in the future and you don't do it, what comes to mind? But I've done this and I always buy this and I listen to you here. I, I don't forget that. I store it. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Mm -hmm. So too much or too little throws a relationship way out of bounds where we become too selfless, less of ourselves, or too selfish. But either way, they don't feel right and they don't have longevity. But anything that we have equal exchange with a person where we feel that what we have to say in the person we want to authentically be is respected by the other person, they'll challenge it if they don't believe it, but they'll also support and appreciate it, then in those circumstances, we maximize the potential of that relationship having longevity because we don't have to agree on the same thing, but we can have a mutual ground and we should respect that. And we both feel that that person honors and cares about what we're about. And I've got friends like that. They're highly religious and I respect the fact that they are that. But when we're together, they don't push it onto me. And therefore, they can talk about it and give me their opinions and concepts. I can challenge them and we can have a great debate. But at the end of it, there's just a mutual understanding you're not going to come to my side. I'm not going to come to yours. Yeah. <laughs> but we can still have a really great debate about it um, and have great conversations. That relationship has longevity. But anything beyond that does not. And that's what's happening in a lot of these cases. People are placing their parents, friends, family, culture, etc., on a pedestal, and they're making their life about that. And every time you do that, you take focus away from the authenticity of the marriage and the relationship. And we're not talking about equal exchange because if, if you have something that you go, oh, a bit weird, uh, but you know what? I love my family and I don't mind that. It's just be 20 minutes of a marriage. It doesn't cost me anything and I'd love to see them satisfied. That, we're not talking about that stuff. That stuff's fine. Uh, may not be your thing, but you, you're cool with it. We're talking about the stuff that you really don't want to do. You don't feel that you're inspired to do. You hate the idea of doing it. And now it's going to cause a clash between you and other people if you don't learn how to communicate or find a mutual ground in that area. Yeah, and I think especially – the, the wedding's just the beginning, really. Like, I know there's traditions for a wedding, um, but it's it's it kind of sets the tone for what you're going to allow yes. after yes. the yes. wedding. Yes. Um, you know, like, 
traditions like do you get married in a church? Do you not? Um, you know, in the Greek culture, you have something called the bed. I think it's called krivati, where you put money on the bed, you bless your bed, you put children on the bed for fertility, like little things like that. And, you know, say like your mother-in-law wants to throw you some other traditional party. Um, what's the Lebanese one? I think Lele or something. Um, choose your, choose your battles. Like something, you know, is it worth battling over that? Like, you know, sometimes you've got to give a little, but also make sure it aligns with what you want to do, but don't. And that's so true. You've got yeah. to choose your battles is what you said. Yeah. You've got to know where am I willing to, because that's the thing in, in other cultures and different um, societies, you are going to have a middle ground and mm. there's no problems with that, but it's when that middle ground becomes nothing but subordination Absolutely. that we have to challenge. So it's it's you got to you got to set that in stone and say where is the middle ground and make sure that both sides respect that. And yes. sometimes you got to train the other side of the family too. A lot of people don't realize that you got to train your parents and you got to train them just as much as they trained you. There's an equal exchange if you want them to respect you as adults, um, and that respect comes from knowing where the line is on both sides. But if there's no line and they're still running that, then that's usually where they won't respect you. They just walk all over you. That's right, because you know sometimes you give someone an inch and they take a mile. So it's about reining it back in and it's in, you know, it's not what you say, it's the way you say it. So if you politely yeah. say, you know what, this is not, it's not for me. I get it. Thank you. I love the suggestion, but it's just not what we want to do. And sometimes yeah. that's not even received well, but how can you even get mad at someone saying, you know, something as kind as that? Yeah, and, and exactly what you said. I don't know who's a human behavioral specialist because I'm 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 not going to lie. I'm fanboying boying some of your stuff today. You've got oh. some absolute bullets <laughs> coming out. Hey, um, uh, my family are English and from the Caribbean, and Harry's Greek, so we've got this mastered by. Thank you, but no thank you, and we love you, but we're going to do our own thing right now. So we, we've got this down pat. <laughs> I love it, and and really. I mean, we go back to the foundational core. The relationship is about the two people. And the, one of the most beautiful things about Australia, it's a world, but, you know, you see it a lot in Australia. Australia was built on multiculturalism. Mm. We opened up the gates during wars and things like that where we needed to increase our numbers. So you can go almost anywhere in Australia and you will find a pizza shop next to an Indian shop, next to an Italian um, shop, well, that's pizza, but next to a Greek shop, of which the Greek and the Italian place are probably arguing with each other over who's better at making love, etc. Yeah. <laughs> who invented pizza? Who invented pizza? <laughs> who makes better pizza? Um, who created sex? And then, but who's experimented with women first? I don't yeah. know. We've heard <laughs> these guys have had the same arguments, and they're hilarious to watch, um, just as much now as they were back then. Um, my friend Anthony Bonardio actually is Italian and he married um, a Greek girl. Before he met her, he said, um, he goes, I never marry a Greek. Are you kidding me? And now he's got a beautiful kid with a Greek. I always stir him up. And I said, so what happened to that? And he goes, shut up. You know I love her. Why are you trying to create trouble? In this? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, we're, but we're on this beautiful multicultural space. And I remember even when, when my dad said to me, you got to marry a good Mauritian girl. I said, no, you left Mauritius. <laughs> mm-hmm. The spice of life here. Do you know how many beautiful women there are? We got Spanish women, we got Asian women, we got Australian women. We've got all kinds of a fruit salad, and you want me to have uh, Mauritian women? I said I'm sick and tired of Mauritian women. It should be half Mauritian, maybe, but there's got to be something else in there. So this conversation we're having, it's got to be having a, you know an impact on many relationships around. This has got to be a common thing um, in Australia because the whole thing is a, it's a melting pot of different races and different cultures and different beliefs and different levels of evolution in those beliefs as well. Um, you know, some families, I, when I work with clients, I see them say, well, we're highly evolved and this is what we're into, et cetera. And this other family that they're, they're very old school, they're very old fashioned. This is what they're into. And I, I just don't know how this is going to work. And that's why we have to go back the authenticity of the two people inside of that marriage. The families don't always have to get along, but if you don't have a strong core and a base and a communication system between the two of you before the marriage, boy, you've got some troubles going into it. Absolutely. And can I just throw in there as well? Um, you can still respect your culture and just because your kids are mixed, um, your, your culture is still strong. Like my son, he'll say he's Greek and we've never told him that. He'll just say he's Greek. That's what he resonates with. Like I'm half white, half black. Harry. <laughs> well, the, but Vanessa doesn't do that. Um, and I'm half black, half white, but I was majority of the time with my mum, but I still 
in my heart, I feel black, like I'm a black woman. That's how I feel. And that's not just because my skin and I'm, I'm not, you know, my skin is tanned. I'm, I'm brown. Yeah. yeah but I feel like black, like my culture, yeah. my music, like, you know, I, in my car, it's Bob Marley. Like it's. You know, you know what I think it is? Like, not that we're 50, but 50 years ago, you and I were black. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then like. You know, now that everybody's into, you know, American black culture, mm. all of a sudden there was a stage in year 12 where I went from black to, like, brown. And um, I remember the day, because Anthony Bonadier again, I said, um, what do you mean, you people? He goes, don't even say that to me. You're not even mm. black. And I'm like, what? He goes, dude, you're brown. You know, in America, you would be Latino. It's it like irritates me. <laughs> so it really irritates me. I've had this conversation before. Do not even get me started on this topic. We're not, we're not even going to go there. <laughs> yeah, I go, I didn't even know if that was racist because there was a clear observation and you have some good facts. <laughs> oh. okay, but I've just changed. So, yeah, but I, I know what you mean. Like if you look at, you know, if you look at you and you go, well, originally you're more black than white. Brown on vote is a mixture of both, and the culture of who you are and what you feel like, and the music that you listen to, and everything is that. So that's a very, they're two very different cultures. And in fact, um, to a lot of Greeks, it's like, oh my God, he's marrying a black girl. Oh How yeah. Do you do that? Oh yes. Even in 2011, that yeah, that was very much. But my point here is, like, my kids, they still. You know, they love their Greek food. They speak Greek, both of them. Um, my in-laws only speak Greek to them and they understand. So if you are strong on your beliefs and your partner respects your, you know, your your core and your values and they, and they do align together, or well, sometimes you know what, they don't align, but you just, you respect it and that's cool. Um, it's not lost. You don't lose it. I know a lot of people are like, no, I have to marry into my culture. I don't want, you know, my genes watered down or whatever, like whatever their, their point is, you can mix and it is just as beautiful as marrying into your culture. And you know what? I think it's fantastic because I half understand Greek. I get fantastic food, um, great family, awesome music. I thought I was going to marry a Greek or an Italian. Oh, sure. the parties. Who doesn't want to do a shot off the floor and it's socially acceptable? Like. <laughs> So, I, I grew up with Greeks and Italians, and I was obsessed in my teenage years with Greek and Italian women. women. It was like the souvlakis, the pizzas, mm-hmm. I drove over to their house. All the good food. Be through the family. Oh, they're just, it's so family oriented. It's beautiful. You can be um, loud. I love, <laughs> yeah. I love, I love, love, love both of them. But that's what we're saying. And look, I think they're both great, um, you know, because for people that align with the same values as a particular culture, they stay within their culture mm. and they get fulfilled with what um, entertains them. They don't have to feel they have to change somebody. And for those that have dual cultures, like Renee, um, who's very much dual culturalistic, um, I am, and both my parents are from Madrid, but their culture is um, both my grandma's mothers are French. Um, uh, both my, one of my grandparents is Chinese. Um, and the other one's Anglo-Indian. So I'm like a pizza in right. terms of what's gone. Who knows what's even before that? Um, so, you know, there's such a beauty in those two sides. And that's the other thing of it all as well, that when you have these two different polarities in culture, the children grow up with a real explorative understanding of opposites and pairs of opposites and understandings of that. And that is really important for growth because you don't just get one-sided opinions, but you get to have a look and multiple perspectives and ways of looking at life because your children aren't just speaking Greek. Um, because they're learning it from a young age, they're learning Greek and the feel of Greek, mm. which is very different. Because, like, if you and I learn um, some things in Greek, there may be some words where they'll be like, um, you know, let's say I grew up with my friends, they're like, Elare. Um, and to us, it's kind of like, hey, how you doing, mate? But if you look at just the words on paper, it won't have the same feel as I see when my friends say that to each other. There's like a whole other vibe that comes with it. So there's like this extra depth that comes with the language, but that depth accesses a different part of your personality, if that makes sense. Yeah, the hands are going, the accent's going, the the nod of the head. (laughs) There's there's more to it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Like Indians nodding their head and they go, I'm good. Yes. And then they kind of shake their head and you kind of look at it, you're like, why is that thing still shaking? You know, but to them, there's a whole feel behind that of comfort and, you know, um, a certainty and all of those things. So um, I think there's a beauty in that. And, you know, learning both of those cultures, they're becoming multicultural. 
um, really within their growth, but they're having such a greater impact on how they are as kids um, and how they see the world. That's probably the bigger one, how they see the world, um, because some people never ever leave a certain state or anything. So it's important to be able to grow and evolve and see the world in as many different forms because it will activate different parts of who you are and how you resonate and care about the world too. Yeah, I, I 100% agree, and especially with like respecting other cultures as well and being open um, you know, to other people's beliefs and you know, everyone, you know, we're not all the same. It's not one size fits all, um, and you have to respect well, that's that. Said at, the, at the start of this podcast, this is probably going to bring more questions than answers. A lot of stuff that we've done, I can give you clear and distinct answers towards. Um, but in terms of this, there are so many different angles about it in terms of the different weddings. And really what it comes down to is what you said. That's probably, if we want to give everybody a distinct answer towards this, one of them is understanding that there are different cultures and saying, where is the middle ground in this? Yeah. And then make sure that you're authentic with that middle ground so that you can appreciate it um, in terms of that. And I, I even have a client at the moment. This is the perfect topic for that. Had a client, um, I'm not going to say their culture, because um, it may reveal a little much, but in the particular culture that uh, he's in, um, it's similar to a best friend that just invited him to be his best man. So I was helping him with his speech, and he just rang me the other day and he goes, Dude, I got to pay five grand as the best mate. And I go, What? Where'd this come from? And he goes, we had a look at what they do for their culture. And he goes, he, the, the, my friend getting married didn't even know that. He was so apologetic when he found out because he just asked me to be his best mate because um, that's what, you know, he's always pictured me doing that role because as part of their culture, I've got to spend this amount on this and these others on these things. And it's all part of their culture. And if I don't do it, their family will be heavily offended. So he's not even getting married. But the amount of money it ends up, he's going to end up overlaying by the end of this wedding is like six, seven grand. Yeah, the said, Greeks are very similar with that. You buy the um, bobinettis, so the the favors that the guests get as the as the best man. That's what you buy, and it's expensive to be a best man and maid of honor. I'm not going to lie, in some cultures, um, but it was crazy. Like, yeah, he's got that money, but I said, who doesn't though? Like, yeah. what if you didn't? Yeah, you didn't know that, and you were in that position, and that popped up then. That's a really interesting place to be in because um, you'd love to play that role in your friend's life, but in that particular culture. Interestingly enough, his friend was in a clash, which is very much about what we're talking about now, and his friend was saying, I, I just don't want to do some of this cultural stuff that means that my friends are going to pay that much because mm. what really means more to me is you guys and the cultural stuff, but my parents want that, so I'm just lost in the middle. And that's, that's exactly why the topic like this being discussed is so, so important. And he's going to go the other way. Um, you know, because he doesn't want to upset his parents. Um, Renee and I went the opposite way. We just said, we're going to do our own thing, but you're part of our lives and everything that you think that you want to do in a wedding, the cultural and sharing all of that, share it with our kids for the rest of their life. We won't be able to do it on one day um, exactly the way that you want it, but we'll have the perfect day exactly the way we want it, but you'll have the rest of your life to share with them. We're perfectly fine with that. Um, and that's how we've made our agreement. Neither of those is right or wrong. Um, we're just doing it in a different way that satisfies our family unit. Absolutely. And especially being in Australia, um, I think, I don't, know, I don't know where this person is from, but if it was back in their like motherland, it, they would probably already know about it. But when you move to Australia and, you know, you've got a few, you know, you're kind of influenced by Aussie culture as well as your, you know, where you're from, your heritage as well. Like you're not going to find out about these things here until you know you are getting married and sometimes they don't align with you like i i didn't feel comfortable asking um our best man to pay for our bob and Yeris, and i didn't like I, we just did it ourselves and and we yeah. were questioned but i i it didn't sit right with me and i i didn't want to do that that was our gift to our guests and yeah that's yeah. the way we did it yeah and that, and that completely makes sense i mean once again, I'm, I'm an interesting person to ask this because not only do I assist clients with this, but as much as I'm born in Rodrigues, if somebody says, where are you from? I'd say I'm a universal citizen, planet yeah. Earth. Yeah. I don't see myself as Rodriguean because if you met somebody that probably aligns and really calls himself a Rodriguean and then you speak to me, you're going to have a whole bunch of a list of things. Mm. You go, they do this, you don't do that. They appreciate this, you don't appreciate that. I'm going to go, yeah, I've got no interest in that whatsoever. Um, who I am authentically aligned to maybe 10% of that. That's just a place I was born, but I, but I've grown up in Australia. There's a much 
greater magnificence in all of the cultures of what they have to share. And I've just, I've always wanted to be part of all of it because the truth of the matter is in some of those aspects, even in terms of being Rodrigan, you know, growing up in Rodrigan culture, say for example, Indian people, they were bought over and then they were used as housemates, etc. Right. So they were seen as a lower class, second grade citizen. So when I was growing up in a lot of French and Creole jokes, we gave crap to people um, that were of that culture. And I didn't really know what it was until later on in life. And I'm like, oh, hold on a second. I've got Indian friends and stuff. And then I found out that I was quarter Anglo Indian. I'm like, not only have I been giving myself crap, they were giving my friends and they're not even like that. So there were so many biases linked within those. And that's when I said, I'm an international citizen. And I want to take a little bits of every culture. And I want to, because uh, I can see a little bit of myself in all of that. So I'm really an interesting person to ask because I don't really have an attachment to any of that. I don't mm -hmm. have an outcome for not doing it. And anytime that people feel that I should do something, I feel that's their unrealistic expectation on me. Um, and in terms of loss, I don't have any perception of loss um, because I know that my parents and I have that level of congruency and conversation and respect that it's not going to be an issue, if that makes sense. I totally agree. Yeah, and that, that's not a place where everybody is with their parents right now. Oh, oh yeah, that, that that is such a key factor when you're not in a position where you can speak openly um, to your parents. And, and sometimes it's not your parents, it's your fear inside of leave, of losing them. Um, yeah. You know, when people come out that's to tell fear. them that, that, you know, they're gay, like, or, you know, whatever they are, um, it, it's the fear of losing your family like it, yeah it's not the issue itself sometimes it's the fear of disappointing and losing them i mean it all comes down to perspective and my perspective is if i've got to be unauthentic in front of anybody for them to appreciate me that i don't have a friendship yes I, i'm acting i'm an actor yeah um for them and it goes back to that that unequal exchange um, i wrote a status on facebook about it today and one of the things that i wrote in there was um i've lived a life where I attempted to do what other people wanted me to do over what I wanted. And I just kept building up unconscious resentment towards them in order to break me out and have equal exchange to be me. And it became really hard to maintain all the lies because when you lie to enough people, you've got to remember all the lies. Yes. And eventually I just exploded. And when I exploded, and this is why, so a lot of people don't know this, uh, people will have a midlife crisis. And mm -hmm. a lot of people go, I don't know why that happens. It says so a human behavioral specialist is pretty obvious. A person has been living outside of their own set of values, usually up until about 50 years old, attempting to please the values of others. Then they have a wake-up call and realize that they're halfway or there isn't much of life left and they haven't been authentic to who they perceive that they are. And then they go on this complementary opposite journey to who you picture them to be, doing all of this stuff that they perceive is either authentic to them or exploring to find out who they authentically are. And that's what the midlife crisis is. It's actually a midlife finding of themselves and attempting to do all of the things before they pass away. Now, you don't have to do that if you learn how to be yourself and authentic from a younger age and live congruently. That's also why um, a lot of people have a fear of death that haven't done the things that they wanted with their lives. But the people that are consistently on a daily basis doing what most fulfills them in all seven areas to the greatest degree, they don't usually end up having fears of death because they've lived their lives. Does that make sense? Uh -huh. That is so on point. That is, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, because they're still trying to work out how to live their life. So of course they don't want yeah. to go right now because Which they're still really trying to work it out. Giving themselves permission. Mm. That's that's all it is. Mm. Just giving themselves permission. They they generally already know. Mm. They just don't want to upset certain people. So I gave up on that. I don't care who it is that I upset. Pardon me. This is my time, and let me know. I'm moving home soon. Um, but I don't care who I upset if it if it's getting in the way of being me. And, and I've got a free communication model that I have. The first thing that I do is I always say, um, I will, whoever it is I'm communicating to, I want to have equal exchange because I value that friendship. So mm -hmm. I will find, try my best using all the skills I have, tonality, linguistics, my language, body language, everything I have to try and have an equal exchange with the person so we can both walk away as winners. And I don't have to sacrifice anything because anytime we sacrifice things, Later on, we hold them, store them in our minds. And if people don't do stuff that we want, then we, what do we bring up straight bring away? Bring that up, like, yeah. We, we, yeah. I did that. We, we, we hold those um, exchanges unconsciously. So I always say, have a fair exchange or hold on to baggage and wait for it to explode. Um, but I'll, I'll look to have that equal exchange. If I can't have that, somebody's projecting their values onto me, then usually I'll raise my voice. That's like the second sign to kind of go, hey, 
who you think you're talking to. Yeah. And that's kind of a, in 90% of cases, I don't care if it's my parents or anyone else, I go, oh, pardon me for that. And they'll kind of realize what they were doing and they were, they were kind of projecting what they want but not listening to what you want. And that's, that's unrealistic. In 10% of cases, that doesn't go through and I've got to elevate to the third level where I've really got to say, well, if that's what you think of me, and that's not who I am. I'll leave you with the fantasy that you have of me so you can be with that person. Now, I've got no problems doing that with anybody. And since doing that, not everybody wants to hear that. Not everybody's strong enough to be able to do that. But since doing that, I've got more authentic relationships in my life. I'm with people we can have genuine conversations. The respect level's up because we both respect each other and support and challenge along the process. And I have less challenges with just people that don't belong there. And that's the truth. Some people have got to give themselves permission to let go of certain relationships or ideals within their life and just move forward because you're not going to have friends your whole life. We've refined those friendships sometimes uh, around marriages when that's going on. It's time to refine them. And I'm going to tell people you have to or don't have to, but just be cautious of watch that communication because if somebody's more interested in them changing you all the time into who they want you to be, it's, it's guaranteed for you to explode at some stage anyway. I, I'm sorry. I'm just absorbing all of this because I think um, even when you are married, it doesn't matter. This is just life stuff now, and you're always going to have relationships in your life unless you're on a desert island by yourself. Um, even so, in this Wilson. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't talk Wilson. back. He doesn't talk back. That's not an equal exchange anyway, because you got to carry him around all the time. You're talking to yourself. Yeah. He was really pissed off when he threw him away in the water, though. <laughs> uh, um, but I think this whole podcast, this whole episode has essentially been um, tips and homework because you've touched on so many things on how to deal um, with, you know, being authentic to yourself and to your marriage and an equal exchange between you and your partner, but also their families and your family. Um, but is there anything else that, you know, you think, any other tools that you think you can share with um, anyone going through this like right now? Yeah. So a few pieces of them that can, you can't call them homework or you call them insights, but I'm, Insight, I'm yeah. changing the game in the way that we see things. Mm -hmm. the, the prehistoric, and I mean that prehistoric way of thinking was your kids first, your relationship, and then you. Mm -hmm. And I'm changing that because we all know that when we have enough trials and tribulations inside of us, we can't even be present with other people. The bigger the trial and tribulation, the more it occupies time and space within the mind and the body. The mind, psychology, your force, keep thinking about it. Can't get it out of your head like a TV channel on a show that you don't want playing again and again. And physiologically, the emotions inside of you. The bigger the trauma that we have inside of us or emotional challenges, we can end up giving our loved ones 20 10%, 5%, not even there. And you know that that's you when your family's talking to you and they go, are you listening, mum? Or are you listening? Are you, huh? You have to keep snapping out of all this stuff in your head. You can't escape it. So the number one thing I want to say is work on you, empower you, make sure that you have the skills to openly feel equal to anybody and everybody and communicate to them equally. If you're working on that, managing your um, emotions, managing the stuff in your life, being a strongly successful person, which I know you're capable of being, then you have set one step to a very powerful foundation in a marriage. Um, or a future marriage because you're strong. So you have a lot to give. And also you have a lot of time and space in your head because I know that when um, I'm doing things and managing all my stuff, you know, if you come to me, Laura, even as a friend and say, hey, I've got this challenge. I don't make it about me. I don't make it about my challenges or start whinging or complaining. I could just be present with you. And when I'm present, I could probably answer it in 15 minutes and come up with a solution. But I'm not present. You could talk for an hour and it just it goes over my head. So the first person's you. Build up your own strength. Your congruency. Make yourself an asset and an absolute weapon for the relationship. Challenge and support your partner to do the same as well. So they get an opportunity to do that with a very strong foundation with the two of you. Then from there, learn how to communicate as a team and have congruency and have conversations and equal exchanges. And if you learn how to do that and stand strong as a unity, then whatever's happening outside of you, you'll learn how to stand as an equal united front and be able to address all of the things that we're saying. Because either one of those, if you're united and you're strong, the way that you and Harry were, then you'll be able to tell, tell your family, some of these are important, some of them are not. We're going to accept some of them, we're going to alter others, and you're going to respect that, but ultimately we're all going to get something out of this. And that has led to the strength that you have. Because today, you can also have that same conversation with his family in other areas. And you still have that respect, but you can also have the discussion amongst yourselves, and there's still respect. 
and the children get to observe that and see two strong individuals as well and they're growing from the strength of the individuals and the family unit and how it works and the communication and you're setting a standard for them and their future marriages so that's my observation that's why i teach my clients day in and day out for thousands of cases there's not necessarily some homework um, if you do all of the homework that we've given you up until this week then technically you're doing that for homework because it'll help build to that it's more of an insight because what we realized before we came on air today is we kind of looked and we said this is such a huge topic I mean, we have to go into every different culture, what their beliefs are, what their perceptions of men and women's roles are. I mean, even when I was researching this, I found out that there was a, a time, I don't know if it's still the case now, in Jewish culture where they wrote down the roles of men and women and men were given how many times they had to have sex with the women. <laughs> wow. And, and you know what? We, we could be here for days talking about culture differences and um, yeah. There would be millions of stories out there, millions of lost loves that couldn't marry because one would be Muslim, one would be Catholic or Christian or yeah. atheist or one wasn't Lebanese and the other was Aussie, let's say. Um, yeah. And it's sad. It, 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 it's sad, really. Yeah. It comes down to the two individuals. Because yeah. if you're not strong enough, yes. the culture and everything else will win over you. Every and time. You will, um, accept the opinions of others. Um, but if you're strong enough, you'll create, you end up seeing plenty of cases. So in each one of those, I always say the strength of the couple will determine whether that bond lasts, not everything outside of them. Um, but if they're not strong, and that's why I said, if they're not strong as individuals and they're not strong as a couple, then anything on the outside can come and destroy them. It just happened to be different aspects of their culture, but it could have been anything. They weren't strong enough. Um, and in that case, time to work on yourself, time to um, work on your next relationship after that and learn the lessons. You don't learn your lessons, you're going to attract the same thing again. So mm -hmm. learn, 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 grow, grow, grow. You've got it. We know that you've got it inside of you. doesn't mean that you're not going to have to face challenge in doing so. That's why today's topic is such a big one and a huge one for um, different peoples of different cultures. But if that's a major challenge for you and you want to explore it further, touch base with us. You're more than welcome to touch base with me and I'll be glad to explore that further based on your unique, specific case yes. and what you can do to grow and evolve. Yeah, and I'll pop... Um Emmanuel's details in the notes um, on this podcast as they are on every podcast that we do together. Um, so, you know, if you wanted to reach out to him directly, if you're going through something at the moment or you can see things arising in your marriage, nip it in the bud now. Like just do it now, get the tools now so it doesn't get to a point of no return. Um, and if you've got any um, questions or topics that you want us to cover, just reach out. And, you know, if, if one person's thinking it, I'm sure we'll get another um, few requests that are similar so why not um, do it 100%. on one episode for everybody um, because some people are too shy to reach out so why not let's do it reach out let us know how you're going with the podcast that is all we have for you today and we look forward to seeing you speaking to you next time on the social go podcast thank you for your time as always thank you for your time laura also and inviting me on i'm loving our series and I uh, hope you enjoyed your hour of power, people. This is all about you. hope it was as powerful for you as it was for us to discuss it. Absolutely. Have a great day, evening, morning, whatever time it is where you are. Have an inspiring day. Ciao. Catch you next time on Social Go Podcast. Please don't forget to favorite us on Spotify so you receive weekly updates for every episode that we release on the Social Go Podcast. Yeah.